Hello and welcome to Vineyard Church Cardiff's podcast. Today we are carrying on our series An Open Life, looking how an open life is an interruptible life. Enjoy. Today I'm going to be carrying on our series An Open Life, which we started a couple of weeks ago. This is part of our Live Like Jesus discipleship framework, which we've kind of been dipping in and out of over these past few years. Be sure to listen back. If you've missed any of our teaching on Live Like Jesus, do listen back and catch up. But in a nutshell, we want to be a people that take our discipleship to Jesus both seriously and joyfully. You know, we want to prioritise and orientate our lives around his call to come and follow him, to be his disciples. And we've talked about how we do this by both being with Jesus and then doing what Jesus did. And we've been looking at over these last few years, looking at some of the practices and rhythms that we can put in place in our lives to help us do one or both of those two things. And so in this series, we are continuing to think about what it means to do what Jesus did. And we're looking at this idea of living an open life, a life that is open to those that the Lord has placed around us. You know, not kind of closed and self-focused, but deep, expansive self-giving to other people. And we started a couple of weeks ago by thinking about how Jesus was a people person, He opened himself up to other people, including those outside his obvious social circle, so-called kind of sinners, people living a life far from God. You know, the most unlikely people found themselves drawn to Jesus because of the way in which he loved them, valued them, saw worth in them. And we are to do likewise, to see people as Jesus sees them. And so today I want to think about what it means to have this open mindset as we go throughout our day, as we meet and engage with the people around us, some of whom we will know really well and others will be total strangers to us. And the premise for today's talk is this, an open life is an interruptible life. An open life is an interruptible life. And I wanna look at this idea through one of Jesus's most famous stories. We're gonna jump straight in. We're in Luke 10, starting at verse 25, the parable of the Good Samaritan. He goes, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So you'll notice that Jesus tells this story in response to a series of questions. He is asked by a man who is an expert of the law in the Jewish law, a lawyer. A few clues in this text tell us that whilst these questions this lawyer asks might seem like good questions, the man is actually not asking them to learn from Jesus, 
but instead to trap him, to get him to say something that contradicts the Jewish law or to, that brings disrepute on himself. Something about Jesus has made this man feel uncomfortable, insecure or angry. And so this lawyer starts by testing him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or you can translate this, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, you tell me, you're the lawyer. You know, how do you read the law? And the lawyer, the lawyer summarizes the two key commandments, namely love God with everything you've got, with all that you are. And because of this, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, these are two sides to the same coin. And Jesus himself says this um, in Matthew's gospel, that the whole of the Old Testament law does in fact hang on those two commandments. So Jesus agrees with him. And he says, yep, right answer. You know it. Now go do it. You know, Jesus' issue with the religious people of the day wasn't that they didn't know the commands of God, it was that they didn't live them out fully. They didn't, they lived in some kind of, they, they lived them out in some kind of narrow sense, in a legalistic way that missed the heart of the law, that did not reflect the heart of God. Go do it, you know it, go do it. So then this man says, okay, well, who is my neighbor? Again, maybe not a bad question on a surface level, but we're told that the man is asking it to justify himself to justify his own position, to make himself look better. The question behind this question this man asking is really this, who do I not have to include in this? Who are my non-neighbors? You know, those maybe outside my clan or those that live outside the Jewish law, you know, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, or those who would call themselves my enemy. Who do I not have to love? Who is my non-neighbor? Who is excluded under, by this commandment, under this commandment? It is to this question that Jesus then tells the story of the Good Samaritan, a story that you may be very familiar with, but that doesn't mean it doesn't need to be retold, that we still need to hear and understand afresh the profound truths in this story, in this simple story. Notice in this story that all the main characters have a name or a label in which to identify them and to create a picture of who they were, the robbers, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, the innkeeper, all except for one character, the man who has been robbed and beaten. We are given no more information about him. This man could be anybody. What Jesus is doing is this. he is taking this, the lawyer's narrow view of who may or may not count as your neighbor and he just blows this wide open. You know, Jesus' definition of neighbor, of who we should care for, is widely expansive. You know, this could well include your actual neighbor, of course, but Jesus is saying the stranger is also your neighbor. The world is your neighbor. The human race, those who God has created in his image, humankind is your neighbor. As we think about what it means to live an open life, notice that in this moment, Jesus opens up who it is that we are to be open to. Your neighbor is anybody and everybody. This goes against any way in which we would, might separate ourselves off from other people, race, class, sex, faith, education, and so on. So Jesus answers this man's rather loaded question with a deeply expansive, inclusive, open definition of who we are to love well. And as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, Jesus' own life embodies this. He embodies what he's talking about here um, in this story as he encounters others. You know, he was the good Samaritan to the people that he met. He met their needs. He cared for them, valued them, loved them. And of course, those who found themselves excluded by this kind of viewpoint, as demonstrated by the lawyer here, that kind of narrow mindset, those people found themselves drawn to Jesus because of his wide, expansive view, the way in which he loved them. 
So Jesus in some ways kind of answers this guy's question, who is my neighbor? But moreover, he answers a different question by telling this story. He answers the question that the lawyer should have, answered, have in fact asked if he hadn't been thinking with such a judgmental mindset. And that question is this, how can I love my neighbor well? What does it mean to be a neighbor to my fellow human beings? What does it mean to live an open life to those around me? And with this in mind, let's jump back into the story Jesus tells. So this man has been beaten, he's been robbed, left for dead on the side of the road. And then we're told a priest walks past this poor man. And then a little later, a Levite comes past too. A Levite was like an assistant to the priest. And we're told that both of them, individually, they choose not to stop. They keep on walking. In fact, in both instances, in verse 31 and 32, the same phrase is used. They passed by on the other side. They didn't just walk by, they crossed over. They deliberately distanced distanced themselves from the man in need. So two religious men walk by and choose not to stop. People who should have understood most closely the Old Testament command to love your neighbor as yourself did not even stop. Now, the reason why they don't stop isn't clear. We're not told why. There's loads of speculations one could make. Firstly, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a famously dangerous road. So, hey, maybe they were just worried for their own safety. Or maybe it's because under the Old Testament law, touching a dead body would make you um, ceremonially unclean, which would mean you couldn't serve in the temple um, for a short while. Maybe that's why they didn't stop. You know, it was almost like this occupation requirement that they just keep on walking. Maybe. Or maybe it was because they didn't stop because they just didn't care enough. You know, this man here on the road, he's not part of my family, not one of my own, not one of my neighbours, not my problem. We don't know why those men chose not to stop. It could have been all of those reasons I've just given or something else. The reason people don't stop actually is often complex and multifaceted, isn't it? But the bottom line is they didn't stop. And the rest of the story then focuses on the one who did stop, the hero of the story, the Samaritan. Now, you may be aware that the Jews who made up the audience listening to this story, as Jesus told it, and of course, Jesus himself was Jewish, the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get on. You know, they had this long-standing, violent feud that went back over centuries, back into the Old Testament times. You know, the Jews felt that the Samaritans had watered down their faith after the Assyrian invasion, and they had then married people outside of the Jewish faith. They'd married non-Jews, and the Jews accused the Samaritans of having this hybrid mix of Jewish and non-Jewish beliefs. The Samaritans did not see it like this. They felt that they actually had the truest understanding of the Old Testament and of Jewish history. They used only the first five books of of Moses, you know, the first five books in our Bibles, and they claimed that the Jews had watered down their faith by adding the rest of the books in the Old Testament to it, the Hebrew Bible. To say that these two people groups did not get on would be an understatement. You know, there are reports in the first century that the fighting between them had got so bad that the Romans had to wade in and stop them. I mean, if the Romans thought the violence had got out of hand, then you know it must have been pretty bad indeed. And, you know, when walking between Judea and Galilee, devout Jews would, uh, they used to walk an extra long way around just to avoid going through Samaria, which is why it was really controversial that Jesus took his kingdom message and ministry right in to Samaria, into the Samaritan heartland. If you look just a chapter before in Luke 9, Jesus has been in this Samaritan village sharing his kingdom message. And this village, we're told, rejects Jesus and his message. And then we read how the disciples, they are just full of prejudice and hatred towards the Samaritans. And in this moment of severe misguidance, say to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Verse 55 in chapter 9 tells us simply, 
But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them. I mean, I'll let you imagine how that went. Jesus had no time whatsoever for such discrimination and hatred that he saw in the disciples in that moment. But in this story, it's the Samaritan that's the hero. I mean, Jesus, with that moment in mind, then tells this story of the Samaritans. It's the Samaritan, not the religious people in this story, who understood what it looked like to love his neighbor as himself. It is the Samaritan who sets an example here of what an open life looks like. I just love Jesus, don't you? I mean, Jesus so often takes those that you'd least expect, the most marginalized, those who maybe seem so far from God, and he holds them up for us to look at as an example of what a heart that pleases God looks like. I mean, it's remarkable and, of course, worth remembering. So this story becomes about the one who stops. An open life is an interruptible life. But as we work through the rest of the story, let's just have a look in here of what this actually entails, about what an interruptible life actually looks like. Firstly, just notice that an interruptible life is actually rather inconvenient. You know, the Samaritan was on his way to somewhere else. You know, he wasn't just having a kind of a Sunday stroll on a dangerous road. The Samaritan clearly would have had somewhere else to be, but he laid down his plans, his timings, his agenda in that moment, recognizing that he needed to do something more important. He needed to look after this man in desperate need. He laid down his agenda, his plans, his priorities. It was inconvenient. The truth is, many of us simply don't have the bandwidth in our lives to feel able to do this. If I were to ask most of you, myself included, you know, how's your week been? I think many of you would reply, well, yeah, great, good, thanks, Alice. Busy, but good. You know, the margin in your week, in your day for being inconvenienced, for stopping, is probably rather low. I think the hard reality is that most of us are simply too busy to stop for those whom God would put in our path. Busyness or hurry, these things stop us from stopping. They stop us from stopping. They stop us from seeing, from noticing those whom God has placed in our path. We just don't have the time to stop. Corrie ten Boom famously once said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you hurry. I mean, that's so true. Just like when we're bad or when we sin, when we're in a hurry, we cut ourselves off from God and from other people. You know, we are not connected enough in the spirit to notice the nudge, his nudge to stop for this person, to interrupt our agenda for that person, to reach out to those people. We just don't notice it. We're cut off from God, from the nudge of his spirit. Hurry cuts us off from God and from one another. You can't love well when you're in a hurry. Love takes time. Just think of any meaningful relationship in your life and you'll know that to be true. You know, John Mark Comer, in his famous book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this, all my worst moments as a father, a husband, and as a pastor, even as a human being, are when I'm in a hurry. That is so true. You know, come to my house at 8.30 in the morning on a school day and you'll see that to be true. You'll see that I'm kind of trying to bustle out the door and trying to get my two boys ready, trying to get stuff ready for work, trying to get packed lunches in bags, trying to get washing out on the line. I am busy. And they're sometimes the worst moments of my day. They show the worst moments of myself. You know, literally a few weeks ago, my, uh, one of my kids was in just really stressed out about something, anxious about something. And I was trying to listen to him, but I was also aware of the time. So I was just trying to kind of hurry him along and just kind of, you know, keep the thing moving along, keep us getting out the door. And my husband, Matt, came downstairs and he kind of saw what was going on. And he just looked at me and was just like, just stop, just pause. And he engaged with my son, chatted it through with him. And just a few minutes later, we were back on track, ready to go. We weren't even late. You know, Matt slowed us down. And if I'm honest, was a better parent than me in that moment. 
We can't love in a hurry. We cannot love our neighbor well, our fellow human beings well, when we are in a hurry. We don't stop for others when we're in a hurry. The truth is we often don't even notice people when we're in a hurry. Love, compassion, kindness, they take time. The Samaritan takes time to care. Verse 33, it says he had compassion. He binds up the man's wounds. He places him on his donkey and he leads him away. Can I just throw out the challenge for you this week just to slow down? When you sense you're hurrying, when you're rushing, just take a breath and ask the Spirit to prompt you if you need to stop for someone. To nudge you if you need to lay down your agenda, your need to be on time, in order to show compassion and love to someone that the Lord has placed in your path. It's inconvenient. An interruptible life is also costly. The Samaritan goes above and beyond in this story, doesn't he? He is extravagantly generous. You know, in the days before hospital, he takes this man, this injured, beaten man to an inn, somewhere where he can just get some rest and recover for the next few days. And he pays the bill for it. Two denarii, about two days pay. He pays, and then he says to the innkeeper, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He goes above and beyond. He is outrageously generous. This is what it means to love someone as you would wish to be loved, to, be, to love your neighbor as yourself. Just imagine for a second that you are that person on the side of the road. I mean, isn't that how you would wish to be treated? that a stranger would come along and look after you, be so full of compassion in that way and so outrageously generous in that way towards you. Just for imagine it's someone that you love deeply, maybe someone on the other side of the world, a stranger in a different land. Isn't that how you would want them to be cared for should they find themselves in trouble? You know, many years ago, um, as, a, as a student, as a young adult, I used to do lots of work over in the Middle East. And I was over there one summer when I got a phone call to say that my mum had passed away. And of course, it was you know, one of the worst moments of my life. And I remember me and my sister, we were there together. And I remember that one of the pastors that we had been working alongside in our time over in the Middle East, he just came alongside us and he took us out of where we were, took us back to his home. And he organized getting our, our, um, our bags packed. He organized our flights. He went and bought our flights because they weren't covered on our insurance. He went and took us to the airport. He went and took our bags and made sure we got on that plane safely. And of course, when we landed back in the UK, obviously it was a really difficult time in our life. And I still remember talking to my stepdad who just could not believe that this pastor, this man on the other side of the world, he was just so grateful that this man had shown such kindness, such compassion to me and my sister in such a time of need. And he, even when it was the most difficult time in my stepdad's life, he took the time to email this man, this pastor, and to say thank you. That, say thank you that someone unconnected with our family, someone that we barely knew and that he didn't know at all, would know to come and love and support and show compassion to us in such a way that would be so outrageously generous to us in such a way. It's costly to love someone in this way. And then finally, it's uncomfortable. Being interruptible, loving our neighbor well, requires us to look at our own hearts where we might unintentionally or unintentionally put up boundaries between ourselves and others, where we see, might be tempted to see people as our non-neighbors, as it were. It forces us to think about moments where we have not stopped, where we have walked on by, that, where we might have thought, you know, they're not part of my family, they're not one of my own. You know, let me just give you an example. You know, in the last few years, a heart cry has gone out, hasn't it, across the world for an end to racial injustice. And many people, myself included, have had to do that hard work of examining where we have perhaps walked on by, 
whilst people of colour, even people in our church, our brothers and sisters in Jesus have felt like the man in this story, you know, beaten up on the side of the road, as it were, discriminated against, judged, disadvantaged, abused even, all because of the colour of their skin. And we've had to reflect on when we have not stopped and listened and heard and stood alongside. I mean, that's just one example, albeit a very important one. But as we think about being interruptible, about having a life that is open to those around us, we have to be honest with ourselves and recognize there are moments when we have not had the same compassion and love as the Good Samaritan, or of course, as Jesus, as the one that we follow, where we have just walked on by. And thinking about these moments, it's not always a comfortable place to be in, but that's okay. These moments are always the first step to change, to repentance, to coming back to the heart of the Lord. It's a step towards our hearts looking more like that of the Samaritan than of the religious guys who just crossed over the side of the road. An interruptible life is inconvenient, it's costly, and at times can be uncomfortable. But it's the way of Jesus. It's what we see him doing, and there is no better way to live than this. Jesus didn't just tell a story about being interruptible. If you look at his life, he was interruptible. Just look through the Gospels. He was always stopping for people, allowing himself to be interrupted for others. Just a few chapters before Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, back in Luke 8, we read a story of how Jesus was on his way to a man called Jairus' house, whose little girl, Jairus' little girl, his daughter, was really, really poorly. This was a time-critical moment, and Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house. And then on his way there, there's crowds around him, and Jesus encounters a woman in desperate need as well, a woman who is so in need of healing, she reaches through the crowd to touch Jesus. And Jesus, full of the spirit as he was, who would only do what he saw his father doing, knows that this is a moment to stop, to be interrupted. And he does so, and he shows love and compassion to this woman. He stops. And for those of you that know the story, know that both the woman and then the poorly girl, Jairus' daughter, end up, by the end of the story, being totally restored and healed. Jesus was happy to be interrupted as he saw the spirit leading. He was happy to stop and minister to those whom the father had put in his path. He did not hurry, he was slow. I imagine the disciples at times felt like I used to as a young child in the supermarket with my mum when she would stop and talk to someone. Like, come on, let's keep going. Come on, we're in a hurry. Jesus was happy to stop, to be interrupted. As his disciples, we are to do what Jesus did. Or as Jesus says here to this lawyer in verse 37, where he finishes the story with the killer punchline, he says, go and do likewise. Do what I do, go and do likewise, go and do. Or of course, go and stop in our example. Now, go and stop. We are to go and stop with the leading of the same spirit, noticing when and where we need to stop where he is nudging us. You know, there's a danger that we read the story of the Good Samaritan. We can feel overwhelmed by the need around us and the complexity that often comes with this. And this can stop us from doing anything. Instead, start by asking God, who are you asking me to stop for today? May I have eyes to see who you are putting in my path? I think that also in our heads, we can sometimes reduce the story of the Good Samaritan as just a a call to serve the poor. Now, don't get me wrong, there is that call on our lives. I mean, if you want to feel challenged about that, just read Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, a different story that Jesus told. I'm just not sure that's the point of the story of the Good Samaritan. Nor is this story about having random interactions with strangers on the street, although, of course, it might include this too. Now, this is a story about seeing and stopping, about being ready to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever and whenever to whoever. 
about laying down our agenda, our prejudices, our finances, being interruptible to serve and care and love those whom God has placed in your path. This is about asking the Spirit to open your eyes to who he is calling you to stop for. And of course, it might be someone in material need. It might be a total random stranger, or it might be a co-worker. It might be a mum at the school gate, a new neighbour, someone at the gym, the person serving you in Tesco's. It could be anyone. I was having a chat the other day with Steve Nicholson, a pastor from the States. He'd been over here and he was speaking at our church last Sunday. And I was talking to him after um, later on in the day. He was um, about to head back towards Heathrow to get his flight back to America. And I was saying to him, you know, he's an introvert, Steve Nicholson. And even though I am not, I am definitely an extrovert. I was saying how, you know, when I get on a flight, I, you know, switch. (laughs) I don't want to talk to anyone. I literally just want to put some headphones on and just have some quiet time. And he was saying, you know, he is likewise. He doesn't want to talk to anyone when he's on a plane. And then he told me the story of how once he was on a flight um, and they were just kind of that point, they were all just getting on, finding their seats. And he'd sat down in his seat and he'd got his um, headphones out, about to put them in to give that clear signal to everyone else, do not talk to me. So he had these headphones, about to put them in his ear. When this guy comes along, who's going to be in the seat next to him, and he reaches up and he puts his um, case in the overhead locker. And then he looks down and he says to Steve, today has been the worst day of my life. And there's Steve poised to put his headphones in. And he just knows this is a nudge from the Holy Spirit. And he's like, okay. Takes the headphones off, wraps them up, and proceeds to talk to the guy for the remainder of the, for the rest of the flight, for the whole flight, talks to him about his faith. I love that story. Just that moment of laying down his agenda, sensing the nudge of the Spirit. Okay, Lord, I will nudge down, I will, I will lay down my quiet flight if you are asking me to speak to this person. That's the challenge for this week. Ask the Lord, who is he asking you to stop for? Ask God to open your eyes to those who you might have even stopped seeing. Maybe it's people that you see all the time, but you have stopped even noticing them, acknowledging them as human beings. And of course, in finishing, remember that we stop because he stopped for us. Jesus of Nazareth came to rescue the world, his people who were broken and bruised, laying spiritually dead on the the roadside. He stopped, he stepped down, he cared for us. He is our good Samaritan, loving us and dying on the cross for us. We stop because he stopped for us. And we are called to do likewise as we go and be his hands and feet to a broken world. An open life is an interruptible life. Thank you.